there is no savior, you know, like if you approach life from that aspect of this knight in shining armor and, you know, all this like learned helplessness and a lot of socialization that women and young girls, you know, <laughs> are, are programmed to kind of expect that will do a lot of things because you're, you're not able to attend to your needs. Hi friends, you're listening to Art and Magic, a podcast where we connect all things practical, magical, and really real when it comes to walking the artist path. I'm your host, Devin Walls, painter, mentor, and dreamer. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to Art and Magic. Um, Before we get into today's episode and our really, really exciting guest, I just want to say thank you for everybody who's left a heartfelt review, who has messaged and commented on Instagram. It sounds like these episodes have really been landing with you. And that just makes me really happy because that's why I started this project is I wanted to provide a really nourishing resource for other artists. I'm really passionate about making art and sometimes that journey of getting our work out there or even just staying on track to create can be hard and we all need guidance and support from others who have done it and our peers and we often need that one piece of advice or inspiring story to help keep us going and propel us forward. So that's my sob fest. I just wanted to say big, big thank you for being here. On a personal note, in the art world of Devin, things have been busy, but like in a really good way. I've had some really exciting project requests and I am needing to walk my own talk of staying balanced between the business side of things, the personal projects like the podcast and, you know, my own studio practice. And as somebody who does not thrive in busyness and needs lots of rest, which I've talked about, I'm learning that I can roll with the punches as long as I just get those things that I need. And for me, that has been taking 20 minutes to walk to my park and connect with a tree (laughs) and let it kind of calm me down and remember why I'm doing this. I've also really stayed committed to getting in the studio. And even if I have other things to work on in the studio, Um, at least giving myself an hour of like pure playtime because without that, the fuel for this whole thing kind of starts to crumble. So I just wanted to mention that in case it's relatable or helpful at all. And I think that's a perfect segue into what I have in store for you today. Our guest of honor is Amira Rahim. And if you have been in the Instagram artist sphere at all for any period of time, it's highly likely that you haven't heard of her. I'm sorry, unlikely that you haven't heard of her. I've been following her since day one. And in my mind, she's kind of like the f- at the forefront of artists doing business on Instagram. I've used tons of her resources over the years. I've looked at her as an example. And, you know, she really has been an example as somebody who is self-taught and has created her own business and has had a ton of success. And what was so cool about our conversation is that 
I got to kind of see behind the curtains of the stories that have led her to be where she is. And I don't really feel like that's something that she's talked about a lot. You know, she gives tons of resources and advice, but in terms of her journey and her personal story, there were details that I wasn't aware of that she shares with us here. And I think what that does for us as other artists listening is we see Yeah, even those who have been really successful have had some sticky points, and I think that that's a healing. So I'm I'm really grateful that she came on here and was as transparent as she was. She shared with us the beginnings of her journey and all the little transitions and life events that led into her taking art more seriously, into switching from realistic work to abstract work, and approaching what she does with a business mindset. Um, She talks about how hardships really fuel the journey and all the different ways that running a creative business really helps us to grow. Um, She gets into why she moved to California and like what's been going on with her. And she also touches on, you know, what her experience has been in navigating this artist space as a woman of color. And she also shares advice for other beginner artists who belong to a marginalized group who also don't see themselves represented. Um, and then we also get into some like really awesome business advice and art tips. I loved what she shared about how to make your work more high value and how to switch into a high value mindset. She had some really poetic things to say about color, uh, which is not surprising if you know her work. And she also talks about some of the mistakes that she sees beginner artists making. So lots to sink your teeth into in this one. The one quick thing I want to note about this conversation is that for whatever reason, my audio is really quiet. I did what I could to fix that and it's definitely still listenable and all the good stuff comes from Amira anyway, so it shouldn't be that big of a deal, but I just wanted to give you a little bit of a forewarning that this is a one-woman show and I'm learning. (laughs) So if you don't already know her, Amira Rahim is a contemporary abstract expressionist painter. Her work has been acquired by collectors around the world, most notably the royal family of Abu Dhabi. Hello. Uh, In 2014, she launched her art business and has sold over $100,000 worth of art in two years. Crazy. Rahim has built a globally recognized brand with licensing partners in Australia, the United Arab Emirates, North America, and Europe. Her work has also been featured in the Chicago Tribune, Ebony Magazine, Professional Artist Magazine, New Jersey Monthly, The National, Time Out, Abu Dhabi, and more. Today, her work is distributed across multiple stores, included Wayfair, HomeGoods, The Home, Hayneedle, and Amazon. When she's not painting, Rahim enjoys teaching other aspiring artists in her signature program, Better Than Art School. So yeah, she's a boss for sure. Um, I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. I hope you enjoy. Yeah, so I want to kind of just jump right in and get just a little bit of your backstory. Um, I'm really curious about how you went from like painting and maybe not selling and not showing anyone um, going from that into selling and going full time and, and treating it with more of a business mindset. What did that look like? Yeah. So, um, I kind of think it was like three periods. Um, the first, I, I, at least I divided that way in my head. Like the first period was kind of basically, I was in my mid twenties or early twenties actually. And, um, working a regular uh, job and kind of having this epiphany that 
was really inconvenient and it called me out in a major way. <laughs> and um, it was this epiphany of like, how can you call yourself an artist if you don't paint? Um, this was this, it came, this is a direct line from this movie I, I talk about on my bio, um, The Art of Getting By. And, you know, it's just like a regular coming to age story. Um, <laughs> but it's centered around this high school student and he's an artist. And here I was like a few years after college, I had um, minored in art and taking classes and things pretty much since I was a kid. Um, my first class being at like five years old um, and really like living and breathing, painting and drawing. And then I get to my 20s and it's like, where did all that go? You know, I I was just kind of like this artist painting on the floor, putting stuff away in my closet, giving it away to friends. And then I had this epiphany of like, you're 20 something, you know, um, you graduated college and you tried like two different professions at this point. <laughs> and you have this gift that you haven't really tried to share like on a major level. Um, and so that's, that sort of was like the idea, like this epiphany with that, I, I realized like, okay, well now I, I kind of have to try this, you know? So yeah, it was about a year. The second period was like that year. It's like a two year time where I was painting I didn't really have a style and um I come from like an oil painting background and I was trying to do all these like realistic oil paintings and make things like super professional super traditional and just look you know by the book <laughs> and I was really frustrated and um you know I was I was going to markets and things like that on the weekends and um, trying to sell my art, but nothing was like sticking, you know? And I was like, man, this is, this is crazy. I'm spending all this time on these paintings. And I was too scared to like really even try to sell them. And then when I did sell them, it would just not be worth like the amount of effort I was putting in, you know? <laughs> and, um, I kind of stopped for like a few months and the whole time I was blogging and things like that, and I remember a lady left a comment on one of my blogs, like a old travel blog I had. And she said that, uh, she said, you have a really unique um, sense of color. And I really admired this artist. She was um, much older, she was teaching and she had like these really cool techniques and everything about like her whole jam was like <laughs> very innovative. And I, I looked up to that. I, I thought it was really cool. And I was kind of hoping, I was hoping that, you know, when she came across my blog, she would say, if she did, you know, say something at all, it would be something like, well, you have great paintings or I like this composition. I like your brushwork, you know. <laughs> the only thing she said was color. I didn't think much of it at the time because I was painting kind of boring things now that I think about it like I was painting like tomatoes and like pears and stuff like that you know and I just wanted the the work to look 
like the photograph, you know, really photorealistic. So again, like when she said that comment about color, it was kind of just like, hmm, interesting and didn't think much of it. But uh, yeah, I took a break for a few months. It felt like a few months. I think it was just about a month. I was kind of thinking for a few months at that point, like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, who am I as an artist? Like, what is my style? Why can't I make this work? And I remember sharing this frustration on Facebook, you know, which is so good, like the whole social media aspect. We have somewhat of a sounding board in this process now. And a friend of mine, she commented something like, um, well, why don't you just paint how you feel? You know, like, why don't you just don't paint anything and just basically paint how you feel, expressing it with colors and stuff. And I just remember at the time kind of just like, like dismissing that comment because I just had such a like low understanding of abstract art I just thought like <laughs> I just didn't really like respect the genre at all mm. oh that's so interesting it's so yeah I was like yeah she's like oh paint your feelings just let out your heart in color and I just like rolled my eyes I was like I'm a real artist like that is <laughs> like yeah I was like that is the most hogwash thing ever yeah, but, you know, I guess that kind of planted a seed. And then when that lady said what she said about color, I I started reworking my paintings when I started painting again. And I basically was, like, like ruining the painting by completely altering what I now know are colorways. So, yeah, just, like, taking a beach scene. There was this one painting I did. It was, like, a beach, and uh, I, I completely change the temperature of that painting where it went from like cool hot summer day to like ultraviolet ultraviolet intense um like hyper realistic type of beach scene and it sold that was like the painting I was able to sell not only because I felt so confident in what I had just done but um also because it was like that spark I had for the first time where I realized like I'm never going to run out of material as an mm. artist. I, I found something that I was like really, really interested in. And it's just, it's just this like really abstract sense of color. And then I just dove like head first into abstract <laughs> and um, yeah. And uh, it took, it took another couple of months for me to kind of like get a flow and a rhythm but it really was like combining all these different, I pretty much went through like the sequence of like really realistic. And then I had in, headed into like impressionist art. And then it was like abstract expressionist. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of my work now and a lot of what I teach kind of draws from like all of these different strands of art history and looking at how we can combine them in a way that's easy for the average person to understand and connect with today. So, um, yeah. Sounds like um, what I like hear in that story is that finding the aliveness in your work really correlated mm -hmm. to selling. Um, yeah. 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 And it's this, uh, this idea, it's also this idea of like finding something that you could study essentially for the rest of your life. You know, you look at Monet, like painting the same garden for like a decade, you know, mm -hmm. it was like he found his thing. So um, if we can kind of like go through certain processes and unlock our brains, we'll hit a certain point in our work where it's not perfect. It doesn't look like 
a thousand dollar painting yet or a two thousand dollar painting yet but you know that there's something now that you can you can birth and then from there it's like okay you have your style you can kind of like chill a little bit and just experiment and have fun Mm, yeah totally um so I'm interested as you've like in that process like hit on what was like feeling like most alive for you and I think sounds like what you're alluding to is like there can be a slow burn like you're not going to get sick of it you can keep revisiting it forever so it makes it more of a sustainable art practice um what was then maybe the shift or how you started treating it with more of a business mindset you're like okay I found my thing clearly people are responding um now I'm going to utilize social media or learn how to do this what was that process of making of treating it more like a business and, and growing in that way yeah. Um, so I was living in Abu Dhabi at the time and I got married and um, I was, this was also coincided with like the same time I was having this art um, awakening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I was living as an expat there and, you know, like not to, not to get super personal, but um I was just kind of raised like women get married. Like that's what you do, you know? And I gone to college and (laughs) I just was like, very like do what I was told. And marriage was just like that next step. And, um, yeah, I was a housewife and sitting there for like a few months and realizing that, I don't think that this is like the life that I can live. Um, Living as an expat in Abu Dhabi was really, really interesting. It was really cool and fun, but um, it's like hyper consumerism. Mm -hmm. And I was there for a few, a few months where I, when I realized like, okay, I have two options here. I could either live as a consumer or live as a creator. And it just was really apparent to me that this is the path that I'm supposed to be on. I'm not supposed to just like get married and have kids and like, you know, (laughs) and I mean, as much as I wanted that for myself and I, I went into marriage like for, for those purposes didn't work out. And, um, you know, it's really, it was a really hard thing to go through. So we had a little bit of noise interference and during that period of time, you were sharing with me how this is just a topic that is kind of like funky to talk about. Yeah. I don't talk about this. What's going on, Devon? (laughs) This is just a podcast that pulls these things out of people. Um, Mm -hmm. But I wanted to reflect that I felt like it was really relatable that you hit this spot where you found yourself in a situation and you're kind of like, okay, but what now? And is this what I wanted? And yeah, I really like what you said about realizing you were living in such a consumerism environment, consumerist environment, mm-hmm. and that you were like, no, I'm a creator. Yeah, like not in the way I thought I would be creating, which was like, mm-hmm. just get married and have babies, Amira. <laughs> like, yeah, a different kind of creating. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, and kind of go to law school because like I thought I would just do that, but um. Yeah, I was like really 
sure I was gonna like have a family like 2.5 kids and then like as I was married I was like whoa this feels really like not like what I want at all mm-hmm. and um yeah it was just like one of those surreal things where everything is like night and day black and white and um yeah I totally totally had a lot of shame around like going through a divorce you know I think that's it took a lot of like self-forgiveness and a lot of like grief counseling a lot of therapy which up until that point I'd never seen a therapist no one I don't think anyone in my family did actually which is a whole nother issue right like mental health and um mental illness and uh the accessibility so I for me to like process all that and come out on the other side I have a different perspective which is like I'm actually grateful that I went through experiences like that I feel like it helps me connect with women who have gone through the same thing or men who've gone through the same thing and people that have gone through any type of major like life transformation identity change all that I just kind of just cracks your heart wide open so that you have a lot more compassion for people you know um yeah, it's it's weird. It's like life hands you all these challenges and it's like, well, I guess I have another blog post to write, you know. <laughs> it's like it's like if you just keep giving, you know, and you you're like, I didn't think this would be like a lesson I'd be sharing with people, but like here's my YouTube video on like managing depression and anxiety. <laughs> yeah. But um yeah, I mean, I know I know that the the community that I'm connected to they they need that you know they want to see that and um it it humanizes things that people because I I I just I mean (laughs) one of the things that was so hard I think about like sitting down and going to see a therapist is this concept of like oh you know I could think my way through anything I'm tough you know Mm -hmm. and even me sharing this I'm like you know I everything I was going through, it wasn't as bad as other people, you know, and um, even just consciously knowing that, yeah, there's people inside of my Facebook groups that have gone through way worse or maybe experiencing a, re- a way different type of um, shame or guilt or depression or regret, like all of these human emotions that we have to feel, right, and we get to feel on this spectrum. Um and that's beautiful. Like that's that's what's cool about getting older, being an adult and <laughs> living life out loud and um you know, living life in color with color, painting colors, you know, and, and now sharing color as well. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm really glad you shared all that. I think that the beginning behind the scenes struggles and often what even catalyzes us to go for it with our art or like show up a little bit more or take a different route like that's often not talked about or aired out and so many of the Mm -hmm. artists that I meet with one-on-one they're like man I have like kids and I just lost my job and I'm trying to like find time to paint and they think that all these shiny shining stars on Instagram or whatever just never had to go through that or that never happened for them behind the scenes it's just Mm -hmm. true you know um yeah for sharing all that yeah, yeah. I mean, and, you know, when we talk about business and um, switching into that business mindset, uh, I feel like 
a lot of it was that process, that whole process of realizing like, no, no one's going to rescue you. Um, you will, you know, you're, there's no savior, you know, like if you approach life from that aspect of this knight in shining armor and, you know, all this like learned helplessness and a lot of socialization that women and young girls, you know, <laughs> are, are programmed to kind of expect that will put you in debt. It will have you, you know, making really poor financial decisions. It will um, do a lot of things because you're, you're not able to attend to your needs, you know? And I think being a businesswoman is the first time I've had to really tend to my needs. And um, it causes you to spend way more time, like asking yourself, am I living in a way that's aligned? Am I living in a way that's authentic? Um, Whatever that means for people. And also, am I making the most of the time that I do have here? And I think that kind of pushes people like me to be ambitious and think of like a thousand programs and a thousand courses every month, you know? (laughs) But, um, one of the things I'm happy about is that I was just kind of like able to streamline and like, uh, combine like all this energy that I've had and wanted to share with people into systems that, um, are basically documented and people can go and access that with ease. And I'm able to support them and just coach them. Um, in addition to that, and it feels really fun because it's like, okay, we're able to combine like our love of painting and all these other like tech and uh, shapes and sciences and things like that and merge them together. What seems like super duper right brain, super duper left brain, combine them together. And it's like, okay, that's, that's what it takes to run a business. And it's like, (laughs) yeah, there's no, yeah. Life will really like sharpen you in that way. So um, (laughs) yeah, I think. It's like integrating yourself. And I think what's so interesting is, um, you know, we are moving into an age where people are more spiritual and I too have been getting back to my own spirituality. And um, I think it's just interesting. It's like we're merging like our divine feminine, our divine masculine, you know, like that aspect of us that just wants to be soft and in our pajamas and like mm-hmm. mixing fluorescent pink all day. <laughs> And then the masculine side is like, okay, like, did you send out this email? Did you like, you know, return this call or record this video? You know, that's like the masculine aspect. And um, we can do it. We can do it all. We can do it all. But um, yeah. Hey guys, we'll get right back to this conversation with Amira, but I wanted to let you know that the Art Biz Group Mentorship Program is still open for applications. And if you're listening to this in real time, you have just about a week and a half because applications close on February 26th. This is a four-month program for emerging artists who want to sell more work in a way that is both strategic and handcrafted for them. There is no one-size-fits-all for artists in business, and that's why in this program, you'll receive all the business information you need, as well as one-on-one support and group live calls where we will get into what you need on an individual level. 
You'll learn everything from how to clarify your message and your brand as an artist, how to write emails to build a really strong relationship with potential collectors, how to attract the opportunities you want, and so much more. So if this is for you, I really can't wait to dive in together. We're going to begin mid-March, and like I said, the last day to apply is February 26th. Okay, let's get back into the conversation with Amira Rahim. I'm really glad that you kind of broke it down like that because something I have really observed from watching you over the years is that you have this like thriving business where you have so many resources for people, many of which I have used and are so high value. Um, And you have this like, as you were, yeah. And like what you're describing earlier, you have this like very colorfully poetic um, art that is also such as part of of you and and what I see you putting out. Um, And so how do you go between these two sides of what you do? Like, okay, I have to launch this course. (laughs) Okay, I really need to experiment and follow my truth and my art and paint my feelings. What does that look like for you, like on a practical, (laughs) scenario, (laughs) if there is one? Yeah, well, that's what we're about to find out in California. (laughs) Okay. you know, that's that's why I moved here. Um, I think it's been a few years in the making of me kind of like looking over the sea or looking over that way and just visiting a bunch of times. But, um, you know, I'm here and I'm completely outside of my comfort zone. And that brings up a lot of challenges. You know, it brings up all types of, of shit you don't want to deal with, you know, <laughs> all these fears and anxieties that uh, you have to coach yourself through you know you have to ask for help you have to seek experts you have to follow up on things and it's it's one of those things where I can keep putting off painting but I also know that my light my my favorite way to dance my favorite way to love is is through my art so that sounds super cheesy. That's super relatable. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm like getting teary, but um, yeah, it's really cool just to see how it comes full circle and just realizing that uh, you know, it always goes back to home, you know, your gift and what it what it is that is the most passionate thing for you to do. Um, might not be the easiest, right? Mm-hmm. Might not be the uh, the fanciest or the most relatable either, but it is what makes you uniquely you. So, um, yeah, I just I just kind of think about that. Like, do I want people to know me for this, or do I want people to know me for that? And that kind of was the running theme for a few years, a few weeks, a few months. Um, whenever you get these thoughts about, you know, uh, how people see you and your ego and all that. But since I've been here, it's been kind of this different question, which is like, how do you see yourself? How do you want to define yourself? How do you want to be known within? And that is so weird. Like, that's just a weird way to view the world I think because we spend a lot of time (laughs) looking at ourselves from the outside you know 
from the outside in. And that's unfortunate, I think, <laughs> if we don't know how to attune back to it. And painting is like that one thing where <laughs> for for the grace of God and like whatever blessings and it's just the thing I'm the most grateful for because it's it's the one thing that I know can't be duplicated, you know? It's like I don't know. If you're if you have a lot of talents and gifts as a kid, you can kind of buy into these different ideas of yourself. And I was really good at math at one point when I was in school. I was a really good writer. I was a really good um nationally competitive debater and I thought I was supposed to go to law school. I was supposed to be a teacher or a professor and um do this and that, but just because you're good at a lot of different things doesn't mean that uh you are going to be defined in all those ways. So, yeah. I don't know. I hope that makes sense. But I just feel like, you know, we're definitely moving into a time where it's less about what you do and more about how you do it. More about how how big are you willing to dream for yourself and go out? You know, if you're going to be a baker, can you be like the loudest, best baker that you can be? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and it's the same with art. I feel like we just have a cool a cool time to kind of be an artist. I think it means something completely different than it probably did like 20 years ago. Yeah, totally. We are in a very interesting time for for artists. And that everything you're kind of saying reminds me of something that we were kind of jamming on before this call. Um, so before this call, we were kind of just like chatting and like, oh, how are you? And then also what's what's been on your mind lately? And it was like, well, there's some really big things that I'm thinking about. And that includes like worthiness as an artist and navigating the pressures of social media and being maybe underrepresented in the space. Um, I'm wondering if you can jam on some of those things and like what your current thoughts have been and how you're how you're navigating that like just advice because I know that we're all it's like the main thing I hear from the artists I work with is like I'm self-sabotaging because I don't think my art is worth it or that I'm worth it Mm -hmm. yeah I think I think our identity and the way that we see ourselves definitely sets the trajectory of a lot of different things and I know we certainly can limit how far we think we're gonna go in a career field and um you know when I st- when I started out painting and and selling my art online I was living in a muslim country and I was wearing a headscarf and I was dressed conservatively comfortably conservative and um I just remember feeling like oh, like my art's starting to get good. Yay. Like I'm starting to get like news, newspaper interviews and um, my work was just getting really popular. And I was just thinking like, well, I know I'm going to be back in the States at some point and I probably will want this gallery to represent me and it would be so cool. And you kind of just go down this like vision of like you standing at your own exhibit and all that. And I remember thinking like, oh man, I don't want, I don't want to do that anymore. Cause I'm going to be the only one in the room. I, I'm going to be the only 
person like me in the room. <laughs> and and meaning, that meaning like person person who's Muslim, woman, woman, woman of color, like, meaning a black woman. Yeah, yeah. A black okay. woman um dressed in a scarf or not. Um yeah. Because that was my experience, you know, yeah. growing up in the United States. If if I grown up in a different part of the world, that probably wouldn't have been my experience, but for a long time, the United States was literally black and white, you know? So, um, yeah, that, that alone kind of made me think outside the box, you could say. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cause I was just like, mm-hmm. you know, I like these galleries. I was looking at some beautiful abstract art galleries down in Georgia and just thinking like, oh, I like these galleries in Georgia, but I don't know if they're going to like me or I don't know if I'm going to feel comfortable there. And like all those like childhood fears yeah. came up to the surface, you know, really it's just like trauma, just trauma experiences that you've gone through and they're not addressed and you don't have the language to deal with it at the time, but you register something within yourself that says, oh, uh shy away from these places you know mm-hmm. don't go here don't don't rock the boat play it safe um fit in yeah. don't you know try to step anywhere outside of what's predictable <laughs> or what's already been done and i didn't see and i still don't see um a lot of people like visibly that look like me you know doing certain things or in certain places and fortunately I think when you're keeping an open mind and you're just kind of like allowing yourself to see other perspectives you can kind of change that perception you know and it's just one of those things where it's like I've I've I'm fortunate enough to have traveled a lot and um looking at evidence where the complete opposite thing is true Mm. and building, you know, a sense of space within a diverse world that I love and people that I love hanging out with that look nothing like me and we're born in completely different countries or um, may come from a conservative family or whatever. And it's like, we end up being like the best of friends. And that one thing that connected us was just like our passion some usually some something to do related to like the arts and so Mm. I think just being a a full-time artist long enough it just opened up my view in that way because I had such big dreams and I still have like really big dreams and I'm just like there's a whole other way you can do things now like sis like it's okay. (laughs) There's this thing now called the internet. And like, now you got Microsoft calling you up to, you know, do a commercial, (laughs) like, just like crazy things happen because of Instagram, you know, and just opportunities open up. And even if it's not myself looking at other artists, get really cool opportunities, or just being able to live their lives. um, It just stops me from complaining, because it's like, I got a lot of work to do, you know, like if I'm going to be the only one this, then they're going to know me for my art. They're not going to know me for being this faith or this background or this sexual orientation or this height, whatever, like whatever hangups that 
people try to project onto you, it's like the art could shut them up, you know? So like, mm-hmm. why hold back? Why hold back on being the best artist that you can be? That's just how I see it, you know? Like, I think that's, the, that's been the, the greatest leveling of the playing field, um, especially in this country. You know, you look at people from marginalized backgrounds that have been able to reach like world record heights it's because of that sense of yeah we're gonna make sure we're the best to do this thing (laughs) so we can't be ignored you know so we won't be undermined or discredited or um (laughs) copywritten violated or whatever the case is it's like just keep going there's a lot a lot of gems in there um and I really appreciate you sharing all that Um, Before we move on to like kind of the next topic, I just wanted to ask if you had any advice for somebody from a marginalized group who's just starting out, who's also struggling because they don't see themselves represented. Yeah, um, I think find find some role models. And Mm -hmm. um, even if it's one, uh, I didn't see any Black African, like African American Muslim artists when I was starting out. Mm-hmm. But I did see one artist who was wearing a headscarf and um, she, she was like, her skin was white, but she was Muslim in America. And um, she was building all this community and uh, she was really into like um, nature and uh, the environment. I believe she went to school for like environmental science. And it was just like, that one person and it actually was another another lady as well she was like an architecture um student i believe and so i would say just like find one person and just look at other examples that you can even if it's not a lot because i still feel like a lot of times i'm the only person in the room or like you know it's not so much something you feel. I think it's it's one of those things where you may notice the first few years or, the first, you know, the first however long it takes, you may notice it. But eventually you're just like, no, I, I belong here. Like I was listening to this interview by um, Michelle Obama um, a couple of weeks ago and she was saying something like, I actually deserve a seat at this table. <laughs> like it's maybe uh, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's like, she's like, maybe it's this guy over there. He probably doesn't deserve a seat at the table. You know, like he's probably the incompetent one or the one who is underqualified. And we, as women, you know, we're told where we belong, especially as a black woman being told, Oh, we don't go here. We don't, we, we, you know, this is awkward if we do that mm-hmm. or do this, you know, <laughs> it, it's one of those things where it's like, you can start to realize, yeah, I'm super qualified, actually. And I actually really can help a lot of people. And I actually do know what the heck I'm talking about. And I'm going to get over my own ego of trying to decide where I fit in less or or above others and just fall into my humanness and realize, like, I'm a human and I'm having this human experience. And I'm going to make mistakes like everyone else. And people's opinions of me have nothing I can't there's nothing I can ever you know do about that yeah thank you for sharing all that I think that's really really powerful (laughs) advice um yeah so I'm I'm curious to to switch gears a little bit to advice for artists who are starting out I know you do a lot of teaching um I'm curious what are some of like if you could pick like a top one or two 
um, biggest mistakes that you see artists who are starting out making? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I don't, I thought you were going to ask like the complete inverse of that. Which oh, is like, like advice. I mean, I'd like that as well, but I haven't asked it this way. Yet, yeah. So I thought I would try it <laughs> like the two top way, like the, the two top things artists should be focusing on. Well, like, I mean, we could talk about that too. <laughs> like what are they not doing right I'm like I don't know <laughs> like well, the reason I asked it that way is because yeah. I know that you work with a lot of students and I do as well mm-hmm. and, and in those scenarios I tend to see like repeat things coming up and I yeah I, I have some advice though, yeah. yeah yeah okay so let's hear yeah yeah so um I think okay I'm just gonna be really specific okay yeah, these are like yeah, please do yeah because we have like 5,000 people are in our Facebook group now. So we kind of see the same few questions uh, mm-hmm. popping up now. It's like a running theme. So these are just two little little ones um, or big ones. The first is that artists can get hung up around focusing on which platform they should be selling their artwork on or like let me rephrase that. Like basically how perfect their website should be. Mm. Uh, I feel like a lot of artists get hung up on like the technical branding aspects of like the logo, the design and setting up on this shop and that shop. And instead of focusing on how to talk about their work. So what is it that they're trying to say through their art? And I think you can use a platform like Instagram for that exact purpose. I think you can really flesh out your ideas as an artist and share and learn to be vulnerable while you build a following. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that's one thing. The other thing is like, and this is, this is like, again, it's not to like make fun or anything like that. I think we all kind of have those ideas, but I see a lot of artists rushing to make prints and like pillows and stickers and robots I don't know a lot of these reproductions of their art before they actually (laughs) Uh, okay (laughs) before they actually develop a demand for their original art Mm. that it kind of just seems like a no-brainer but someone doesn't want to buy your $200 painting so you're going to figure out how to sell them a four by four version of that painting for a dollar or two dollars. You know, it's like in that way, you're kind of selling your art for like pennies on the dollar. And again, it's one of those cases of like, it's always impossible until it's done. So if you see other artists that are able to build a demand for their work, sell their art at profitable prices, then you want to go into it already with the the mindset of I want my art to be high value, you know? Mm-hmm. That's the way that you're going to sustain yourself as as a notable business, as a brand. It's not going to be by turning into like <laughs> the dollar tree or whatever and, you know, <laughs> like mass marketing your work. And I'm all for like commercial reproduction of art (laughs) so I'm not against that at all um I like licensing my art a lot because it's really fun you know Mm -hmm. um it's fun I think to think about different applications for art and function and things like that but um (laughs) they're able to do it at a level where it's cost effective and it doesn't take away from my time and I can just 
collect whatever royalty I agreed to, which isn't a lot, but again, it's like this one less aspect of your business you have to kind of think about. And um, yeah, so that would be something I would like to see more of as well. Just like really pushing the, the fold on that pers- for me personally. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point that you drew out, um, which I kind of read in there is like, yeah, people will buy a print because because you already have a market for the original. And I think yeah. people have this like perspective that, oh, it's just because it's too high of price. So if I cheapen the price, then people will buy it. But that's yeah. not really necessarily, depending on what you do, the reason people buy prints. But I'd never really heard it like that. So I'm glad that you, you said that. Yeah, because I mean, at the end of the day, like it took a long time for me to admit this. And again, everything I'm saying, take it with a grain of salt, like slam your laptop if this whole conversation, <laughs> you know, if, if you don't like it. Um, this is purely my opinion, but I feel like if you're selling your work and you get to that point where you're trying to like cheapen the value, then there's two reasons for that. It's either A, the, the something about the perceived value of your work, like the quality of your paintings just aren't adding up. And that's like a hard pill to swallow. But I went through that, you know, and I was like an art nerd, like I loved painting, but I had to improve my skill set. You know, I had to get to that level and I'm still getting to that level where, you know, I'm increasing the perceived value of my work or maybe perceived value isn't the right word, but it's like, I do think there's a learning curve with um, being a profitable artist and having work in demand. Um, and I think the fastest way to shorten that learning curve is by going like crunch time in the studio, <laughs> you know, <That's laughs> just really like, nice. yeah, just like banging it out. Like, I'm <laughs> like, I'm just telling, I, I'm happy I can say this now because like, I do have a, a way for artists to like shorten that. And, you know, we could talk about that, but like, even with that, you know, there's all these tools, there's all these ways that artists can learn, but it's like, I don't want anyone to be misled in thinking that uh, you can just jump right into like from amateur to super innovative and professional. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just from like painting in the studio, you know, it's just, it's just about getting really honest with yourself. Like there are things that I want to improve on as an artist right now. And the fact that I know exactly what those things are, because I have a framework for understanding what makes a painting visually compelling enough for someone to want to buy I think there's like an intuitive like science behind that that a lot a lot of us just were we weren't aware of it like the way people see things visually now I think is fundamentally different and so artists today have to be aware of that and so having a framework in that sense like just kind of going through my mind I feel like I'm able to see where I still can improve as a painter, but it's fun because it's like, even though you're still improving and you're learning and we're always reaching to become better artists, you can still sell your work at the level that you are. Like you can still have fun. You can still um, figure out this groove and get it going where it's like, you have a business, you're running a, a profitable art business. Yeah. So I'm curious if you could just touch on briefly for us, because you were saying there are components that make a painting visual. You said something like visually appealing or communicating. Yeah. 
are those like <laughs> things you'd be able to name? I'm just curious about what those are. Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing for me, I think is color and it's no surprise, like the way the, the components for me also kind of have an order. And I feel like it's just like in the way that we can learn things and color is one of the most visceral things that we experience as a human being, the way we consume color. Um, we eat color. We can, some of us hear color or we can see color. Um, and it has this vibration. And so I think we, we're painting, you know, it's like if you listen to classical music or you listen to like swing or like some really 1920s music, there's a reason why like parties and, and bars and clubs and things, they're not playing that music today because it doesn't resonate with people anymore. You know, like the frequency, the notes, the tempo, the, the, the experience of music changed. And I think the experience of color has changed as well. And <laughs> yeah, and it's like, if, if artists can just slow down and, and kind of like draw from nature, I think a big part of my painting practice is like drawing from nature and looking at like these crazy magentas or like I went to the aquarium the other day and seeing like nature has these beautiful fluorescent lime green uh like jellyfish you know you look under the water and all these colors that we thought were artificial right or acrylic based or whatever the case is are actually found in nature and if we can just attune our eye to seeing colors in that way I think that's the first step and making your paintings look a lot more valuable. Um, and, you know, just to share like <laughs> full disclosure, I was aware of this like five years ago, <laughs> but the caveat to that is like, it doesn't mean like go to the store and just like buy a bunch of neon colors. And like, cause I was that girl painting with like 30 tubes of paint, <laughs> you know, yeah. like I had like every tube of paint. I was just like splashing stuff on there and like hoping it would be cohesive. So <laughs> it took me like a few years to realize like even within color, there's a math to the balance of it. And so I had to discipline, like I had to rein it in. So yeah, long answer, but yeah, the first thing is color. The second thing is composition. Um, and composition is is hard to teach i think it's hard to acquire <laughs> that's one thing um another aspect is just um like the embellishment and how much depth that an artist can put in their work today i think that's one thing that you can do to increase the value of your paintings and it's i just kind of think about it like the difference between like a really intricate pencil drawing and as intricate as it could be it may be really hard for you to sell that thing, you know, versus like a resin deep pour or something. Or like, I think of like um, Ashley Longshore's like Swarovski embezzled paintings, you know, yeah. like people will spend a lot of money on that because of the amount of depth, depth and layering and um, intricacy. And even surprise that that painting is able to provide that a pencil drawing or a watercolor painting or um, not even watercolor, but you know, it may, it may not. So, and this is purely, it's, it's purely based on a lot of other factors as well. Obviously there's a lot of successful uh, artists in different genres or mediums, you know, people are probably asking for a lot of money for like different sculptures and um, amazing, like world renowned watercolor artists and things like that. So yeah, I think 
you know, that's one aspect. If you're that brilliant, (laughs) um, a lot of us are falling in a different line of basically home decor. And so looking at art as a function of a space and to be consumed by human beings (laughs) and things like that, um, which is really cool because it it feels like little creations, you know, I think a lot of artists also make jewelry or weave or do something. And it's like, if you weren't painting, you'd probably be making something and sharing it with other people in some other way. You probably probably would be doing something else where you would be creating a physical object and handing it to someone, you know, and like infusing that with love and like collecting money for that, hopefully collecting money for that. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I like what you said. Like, it's meant to be consumed by humans. And there's lots of different kinds of humans. So there's lots of room mm-hmm. for what that might mean. But like, this is a, this is meant to be lived with. And so thinking mm-hmm. about what adds value in that way. Um, I think it's really mm-hmm. important. I like that. Um, and I love all the observations about color and like the resonance of how <laughs> things have changed. I'm going to have to think about that. Um, okay, so as we are coming to a close, before I ask the final question, I have a, um, an intimate semi-rapid fire. We're not intimate enough by now? <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> well, they're, they're like soulful, quick questions. Art related. That's why it says that. <laughs> We're going all the way down. Okay, so this is like the easiest part of the whole thing. <laughs> all right, cool. Okay, so these are all... Um, finish the sentence okay so the first one is if someone really knew me they would know I am a really loving person like I'm a lover I'm a lover not a fighter (laughs) Um, okay the next one is art is art is home Um, the color of my soul is neon purple. Ooh, yes. Like that aspect name too. Um, and the last one is I honor my art by doing it. Yeah. <laughs> doing it. Yes. Great. Um, so what is coming up next for you? Where can we find you? Um, anything you'd like to share with us? Yeah, so we are currently enrolling new students for our Better Than Art School group coaching program. And over the next few months, I will be building up my own painting collections and diving back into the shop side of my business, which I'm really excited about. And um, yeah, just I like marketing. So it's going to be a lot more of me marketing my art and figuring out new and creative ways to sell. my work and continue to build community and coach other artists who are looking to do the same. Mm, That's all really exciting. And I'm really excited to see you come out with like your new work. I can't wait to see what that holds uh, and how like living in LA maybe plays a role in that. So no pressure or anything. Yeah, yeah, no no pressure at all. (laughs) I'm just over here trying to get through the day with my chai latte. <laughs> right, but I am gonna head to the art store after this, so I'm pumped. I'm really pumped. Oh, great, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for everything you shared, and thank you for your time. It's a real honor to have you on the show, um, and hopefully, we are, you know, expecting to have you back. 
<laughs> Absolutely. I will come back anytime and definitely looking forward to meeting you in person as well. Thank yeah. you for having me on the podcast. Absolutely. Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> Wasn't that so good? I just loved getting to know Amira on that deeper level. Um, And I was really, really inspired by the things she shared about color. Like that just really got my wheels turning. So please make sure you check out her and her work. She has so many amazing resources. All of that is in the show notes. And this was actually our final interview of Art and Magic season one. Uh, We went out with a bang. I kept the interview season short and sweet because I wanted them to be really, really powerful and have really amazing guests for you guys. So it's a happy sad, but I'm absolutely going to be back. We're going to be picking the interview part of the show back up in like mid to early spring. Stay tuned because there could very well be one last solo episode of Art and Magic coming your way very soon here. Other than that, don't forget to head to the link in the show notes to check out the Art Biz Group Mentorship Program. This is really an opportunity to go through a transformation with your art business, and that's applicable whether you are just starting out and you've never sold a piece before, or you've been doing this for a little while and you're really ready to strategize and take things to the next level for yourself. So show notes for that link. Um, if you're enjoying the show again, ratings and reviews are so appreciated. You can also keep up with updates and everything that's happening by following me on Instagram. My handle is at Devin Walls art. Okay. That's all we have for today. I'm sending you lots of love and tons of magic.